0: Today's scripture is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, excuse me, sorry, which I am committing. Sorry, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Kingsway. If you've not already, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And while you do that, let us pray and go before the Lord this morning. I got to open my Bible first before I pray. (laughs) Father, we come to you first saying thank you in all the ways that you've met us so faithfully. And Father, we pray for this time in your word that you would show wonderful and marvelous things regarding you and your precious son who died for our sins. Lord, I pray specifically for mothers with young children, infants in this room. May they be encouraged during this time. Lord, would you meet them in this time that they might hear you speak to them through your word. And for those that have stubborn hearts or hearts that do not know you, Father, would you open blind eyes this morning, remove the wax from our ears so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, for you are a worthy God, worthy of all praise and all the glory belongs to you. I pray, amen. Christopher Wright, in his commentary on this wonderful passage before us, says these words regarding the text we're studying this morning Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22, is unquestionably one of the richest texts in the Hebrew Bible. Exalted and poetic in its language, comprehensive and challenging. In its message, it purposely tries to boil down the whole theological and ethical content of the book into memorable phraseology, packed and pregnant, rich and resonant of all the surrounding preaching. Indeed, there are not many dimensions of Old Testament theology that are, that are not directly expressed or indirectly echoed in this mini-symphony of faith and life." The passage before us, the passage before us contains the bare essence of the covenantal commands on God's people. We see the Shema is clearly alluded to in this passage, and the heart of our obedience is addressed and summarized. Not only does this passage plainly lay out both large and in general terms and specific terms how we are to obey the Lord This passage clearly gives the grounding and the reasoning and the foundation as to why we obey the Lord. There are two large categories that Moses is addressing this morning for us. First, he is addressing the unmerited choice of God to love a people out of all peoples on earth, our unmerited election to salvation. And secondly, our active participation in being set apart from the world. Our unmerited election involves nothing that we bring to the table. There's no reason why we are chosen by God other than his good grace and his mercy on our needy souls. And yet we see Even though there's no active participation as to why we are saved, we see that once we are saved, God has stored up for us works that we actively participate with God through the Holy Spirit that we might obey and worship Him in the lives that we live. Christian spirituality is not something passive, it's all of grace through faith, but it's not passive. Our faith is actively labored in by grace, through faith, by the Holy Spirit, given to us because of the sacrificial substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. So as we dive into this passage, I want you to keep those two ideas in mind. God, God loves you and he chose you, dear Christian, not because of anything that you have done or because of anything you will ever do. That good news. What a foundation we have in the gospel. But also, God has demands for your life. He wants you to love him through obedience and the exclusive privileged trust in him for all of life, in sickness and in health, For richer or for poorer, you forsake all other spiritual mistresses for the Lord. So, the main point of today's sermon is this God's people pursue holiness because of God's faithfulness and unmerited affection for His people. As I said, active participation in holiness and God's unsolicited love for people are the two main themes that we see in this passage. And the logic of the passage before us is that Moses starts off with a question and in a rather circular fashion, circling the same idea from different angles, he makes his point in the center of this passage. Moses answers this question. He answers the question several times and in several ways. And he gives what seems to be the same answer with the same reasoning several times. But he gives a different angle at every turn that he makes. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to, to, to bring that together in three ideas that we see. As he reasons with us, how do we obey the Lord? The outline is three points. Three points respond to God's grace with obedience. Point two, cherish God and his unmerited choice of you. And lastly, actively participate with God in your pursuit of holiness. So let's start with with point one, respond to God's grace with obedience. Let's start with the first two verses of this wonderful passage. The first two verses that seem to be echoing the Shema. You, 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 we've heard this, the, these, this, this imperative, this call several times as we've been in Deuteronomy. Okay, we get it. We need to love the Lord. And we, we hear that Shema echoed again. But look with me, at the first two words. I'm not going to recapitulate what we have said behind this pulpit again and again, although it's the same good news that we repeat. I want to draw your attention to the first two words, and now, and now. This glorious passage that we're studying is following a story that was just told. What Josh Jr. preached last week was the story in reference by these two words and now. Chapter 9 was the story of the golden calf episode. Everybody knows that one. That's the greatest hit on Hebrew TV. How Israel was completely unfaithful to God as Moses was on the mountain receiving revelation from God. The Ten Commandments, two stones, written God's very finger. Moses comes down from the mountain. What does he see? He sees Israel. They made a calf. Aaron, the high priest, made that calf. And they worshipped it. And Moses broke those tablets, giving a real physical illustration of the violated covenant before him. It wasn't done away with. The covenant wasn't voided. It was violated Moses broke this. You, you have already broken the law of God. You are unfaithful. But the covenant was not done away with. Just how Moses broke the tablets, God's law was broken by Israel. So you, you have to remember, we, in order to get to that point, you have to understand the covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, when Abraham made a co- God made a covenant with Abraham, remember... They took animals, they split it, and, and, and normally two parties walk through that, both of us together, hand in hand. If we break this, like these dead animals, may that be me, if I do not keep my word and this promise. But God doesn't do that in Genesis 15. It's so unnormal because only God walks through it. Only God is held to covenant commitment, not Abraham. And so what we see is that God is faithful. There's not a period of time in which God left his people destitute. There's no time in redemptive history where God has ever forsaken his people because he promised only he, only he would keep it regardless how much you might have violated it, ignored it, disregarded it, saw a better way for yourself. God is faithful. And so in Deuteronomy 9, when Moses breaks the Ten Commandments, he's giving that painful illustration. Remember, Aaron is almost destroyed. And God says, why don't we just start over with the Abrahamic covenant with you, Moses? Let's do away with this faithless people. I will be faithful. Why don't we do that? But then in chapter 10, everything changes chapter 10, we see the exact opposite. Moses gets two new tablets. Furthermore, we get the Ark of the Covenant. Instead of Aaron being threatened of death and destruction, he dies of natural causes. His son takes up his mantle, takes up his position. The Levites are instituted. The good news of the priesthood is that priests function as mediators between man and God. And God says, I want relationship with my people. And so the Levites, that's the promise. That's God being faithful to his side. So chapter nine paints a picture of our sin. Chapter 10 shows the redemptive grace of God, of his special electing covenant love for his people where sin increased, grace abounded in chapter 10. That's 9 and 10. Sin and grace. And so here we are, chapter 10, verse 22 or 12, and now, and now. It makes me think of Romans five and Romans six where Paul says that where sin had abounded, the sacrifice and the gift of grace found in Jesus Christ abounds all the more. So the very next verse is Romans six one, Paul asks the question, shall we sin that grace may abound? If God's grace is greater than our sin, should we continue sinning so that we can continue reaping in more grace? If God chose me and Christ covers all of my sin, does it matter how I live? God Doesn't God get more glory if I sin more because it just shows more about the depths of God's grace? It's just a vicious cycle of God being gracious. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 is that question. Romans 6.1, shall we sin so that grace may abound? And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? That you sin and keep indulging and presuming on the grace of God? No. We see that Moses calls God's people in light of abundant grace and mercy and his electing love to holiness. To holiness, Grace is not to be abused. It is to empower you, dear Christian, for a life fully devoted to the glory of God through being a new creation by the blood of Jesus Christ. We receive an abundance of grace in the cross of Jesus and that grace is given to you so that you might be in awe of God and so that you might obey God, that you might see your need before an awesome and beautiful and gracious and loving God. And that awestruck love love for God shows itself in a life of holiness. How often do we justify our sins by saying that Jesus paid it all, that God's the faithful one. Don't you know, Genesis 15, only God walked through it. Doesn't matter how I live my life. Once saved, always saved. Who's heard that before? Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 14 paints a picture that God's election is confirmed and is an assurance for us and for God's people through perseverance. Perseverance. Not did you say a prayer back then? Did you did you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus today? That's, that's how perseverance is talked about in Scripture. Is he your Lord and King today? Mm -hmm. Daniel Block, in his commentary on Deuteronomy, speaks to the empowering nature of grace in these two verses when he writes these words. The lists consist of responses that involve fundamental dispositions of fear, love, and active expressions, walk, serve, keep. Attitude and action are interrelated Fear is primary, and love, covenant commitment, is at the core. Without these, the actions are legalistic efforts to gain the favor of God. Without the actions, fear and love are useless and dead. Grace as license to do whatever you want because Jesus died for your sins is a grievous misreading and misunderstanding of the gospel. But cold obedience without fear and love of God is deadly legalism. Lord, keep us from both of these. True Christian worship is an awareness of our need and of God's grace in Christ and a love for God through obedience. We're we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. What Moses describes in verse 12 through 14 is a life that is obsessed and is exclusively about God. But I want you to note one last thing before we move forward is the last phrase. Notice the last phrase that he used in verse 14. Why are we to obey God? Because it is for our good. Good it's for our good. When we obey God and we live under his rule and reign, when we're set apart from the world and we delight in the things that are heavenly versus worldly, when we stop loving ourselves and we become obsessed with God and others, we're functioning as we were created to function. Being set apart, being holy, it's like moving from a diet of fast food to a perfectly devised diet of of a lot of red meat and and other, there's probably a ton (laughs) of burgers on there too. When we obey God, we are forsaking things that do not do us well to things that do us great good. The law is good for several reasons. Now granted, caveat, pause, the way that Christians interact with the law is different than the way Old Testament Israel did. But we don't throw it away. We don't do away with it. It's it's good. What we're doing this morning is good because we'll try this. It represents God's character. It, it shows us what God prioritizes. The law humbles us because it shows that we actually aren't that great. It teaches us that we need a savior. It teaches us about the gospel. Because it shows the lengths in which Christ went to obey in your place. Christ didn't come to abolish. He came to fulfill. And the law of God is a good thing. And for Christians, yeah, we relate to it differently. But we don't disdain it. We respect it. Because there's great things, though different things, that we learn from it. Having now seen the full revelation of God yes. in the person of Jesus Christ, yes. Matthew excuse me Matthew Henry, in his famous commentary on the whole Bible says this about the goodness of the law. Hear these words and be encouraged. Having given up ourselves to his service, we must make his revealed will our rule in everything. Perform all that he prescribes, forbear all that he forbids, firmly believing that all the statutes he commands us are for our good. Besides the reward of obedience, which will be our unspeakable gain. Do you view obedience in those terms? There are true honor and pleasure in obedience. It is really for our present good to be meek and humble, chaste and sober, just and charitable, patient and contented. These make us easy and safe and pleasant and truly great." How can we apply this text today, King's Way? We delight in God's rule over our lives and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through that that window alone that God is good. And, And that moves us to a godly fear, not a sinful dread of our creator. God's grace and mercy move us to submission not anarchy. Just because God's grace is abundant does not mean we get to do whatever we want. Doesn't mean we get offended when God says, you shall not go there. You shall do this. God's grace motivates us, moves us, grounds us, enlightens us that we might be truly great because Christ was great. For us, grace empowers us to worship for our good, to the glory of God, and for the sake of our neighbor. But, but I want us to get this obedience isn't the end game. Please hear me say that. It's there, it's, it's definitely on the table. No, it's there. Caleb pushed it off. No, it's, it's right there. I'm not moving it. Obedience is there, it's not the end game, it's the response to a prize won. It is a response to a prize one. What we have in Jesus Christ, that's the money. That's the money. We obey because we have God in Christ. We run to holiness because we've been given eternal life in the place of our sin and that that caused us to stand condemned before God. We respond to God's grace with obedience because he is worthy of our obedience and because of his unmerited love for you, dear saint. Unmerited love. Love. The word election is the word we use because it means God's not moving away from that love. He loves you. He loves you. Intentionally loves you. Which brings us to point two. Cherish God. Cherish God in his unmerited choice of you. This text has some of the richest statements in the book of Deuteronomy regarding the glorious supremacy and grandeur of God. If you're looking for text to memorize, this is it. Brothers and sisters, if scripture memory is, is one of the disciplines that you pursue, this is, I mean like, come on, this it's right here. It's a buffet and a feast of who God is. And the glorious call that he's called you to. Verses 14 through 19. Let's look at verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. What a statement of our God! Our God isn't competing for space, He's not limited to a cubicle. He did not just create created order. He owns created order. Everything belongs to our God. There's no one higher. He's not competing equally with the devil. There's no dualism here. It's God and no one else. There's no enemy. There's no spiritual power. He is so supreme, it hurts. There's no enemy, no equal. And Moses continues in verses 17 and 18. He has a similar thought later in the passage where he says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. No one pays him off. He does what he wants because he wants it. He's never in a pinch. He never owes somebody a favor. He is all-powerful, supreme, He always makes the right decision. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the sojourner, giving them food and clothing. Our God is supreme in every facet. No golden calf. No pursuit of power and money, no mistress, no material item, college degree, can do what our God does. Amen. But this is just the start of the good news, because the passage is crammed with, as Bruce reminded us, so well, I don't know, there you are, brother. so well this morning. He's not just a magnificent, transcendent God. He is an imminent God. He's close to you. And we see this transcendent God close to you through his love for you. Look with me. We'll get there in a second. We'll get there in a second, Caleb. Okay, because... When we see God for who he is, the fears of this world will grow strangely dim. Sin becomes less appealing. The gospel becomes more satisfying. But if you're suffering, the character of God and the love of God in this text should be your foundation. Because the God of this text, Kingsway, is your God. Yeah. Having turned from your sins and placed faith in Christ, you have been transferred from a world where you were an enemy of God. And now being an adopted child of God through the Holy Spirit, because of the mediating work of Jesus Christ, you've been, you've been brought from death to life. Do you feel weak and feeble this morning? Do you sense that you lack control over the problems and the fears of your life? Who is the great, the mighty, and the powerful? Who perfectly executes justice? Kingsway. Who owns heaven and the heaven of heavens? Who, out of all people in the world as you are this day, chose you? Our God. I love what Moses says at the start of verse 14. He tells the people, behold. Did you catch that? Behold. That word has been an unspeakable comfort to me this week. Are you low and needing lifting up? Behold. Are you discouraged by your sins this morning, dear Christian? behold. Cherish the God of your salvation. But we don't just cherish his supremacy and his beauty, we behold his special eye for his people. We cherish, this is the secret recipe between Israel and God. When you read Deuteronomy 9 and 10, sin and grace, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. If If you read it you read it twice and you read it three times. Why? Why is this happening? Just kill them, God. They've sinned against you. You're literally God and yet you gave them more tablets? They're going to they're break it again. The secret sauce for us is that God chose you apart from your merits. And instead of seeing you For your sins, the merit he looks at is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. God elected you to salvation because he loves you. And what I love about what we heard last week and what we see in the text we're studying this morning... Election has nothing to do with some kind of foreknowledge of faith placed in Jesus Christ. It's not some kind of foreknowledge of, well, I know, you know, I know that so and so will be a good person, so they're good enough for my love. Election is unmerited. God loves us because of nothing that we bring to the table. It's a passive gift of God, true grace, getting what we don't deserve, Look with me at verse 15. Moses just told us that God owns everything in heaven, literally everything in heaven and on earth. There's no want, there's no restraints, there's no period to the sentence of for God. But notice how Moses, excuse me, notice how Moses, that's a hard one. Notice how Moses starts verse 15. The word yet, yet. When he says yet, that is a statement that stands contrary, it's a concessive, it is the it is it stands against the previous statement. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people as you are this day. Did you notice the progression of that statement? the comic books, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, love them, but he chose their children. Out of all nations in the world, he chose you. And my favorite phrase, as you stand this day, remember chapter nine, golden calf episode, those people, as they are, God elected them. If you like circling your Bible, that's the phrase to do it. As you are this day. So whenever we talk about election in the Bible, it's not used as a sharp sword of apologetics and of arrogance and of cutting down members of other denominational viewpoints and doctrinal positions and ivory tower discussions at denominational schools. Election is spoken in the Bible often and regularly with the pastoral affection for comforting your soul. Are you discouraged? Delight in God because he delights in you. He delights in you. God choosing us because of his good pleasure grants us an assurance and a safe place to fall and a love that causes and stirs and empowers worship. That's why I set apart every room in my house, spiritually speaking, for God. Because the God of heaven and the heaven of heavens, God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome, that God, he loves me. He's coming to my house today. Why wouldn't I have my house in order? Why wouldn't I love him? Why wouldn't I give everything? Because he gave me everything. He had everything. He, there was no need for him to do it, but he did. And he looked at you and he said, I'm sending my son to die in your place so that we might be where I originally started us in Genesis one and two, so that I might be with my creation, that I might be with man and commune and that you might enjoy me forever. What a deal that is. So as you are this day, aware of your need, the frailty of your body, The ropes of your life fraying, the control slipping away. You feel small, the oxygen's been sucked out of the room. Vitality in your affection for the Lord, it's dwindling. Your affection for Christ has become tarnished, and it's not as bright as you once as it once was in seasons past. What does this text tell you to do? Behold your God put your, drag your frail body into the river where God speaks. He speaks through Jesus in his word. Just put yourself in the way of grace. Your arms are heavy. Your heart is heavy. Throw yourself on the cross because there, that's how you get to the first part of obeying God And fearing him and loving him, it only starts with grace. Grace empowers you and comforts you. And God's special love, when you have nothing else or you lack the love or you've lost love or you don't know what love is, that sounds like a song, we find it in God's love for us. If we really got what election meant in the warmest of terms how happy we would be as the people of God. The last verse of this passage speaks to God's power displayed in leading 70 people into Egypt and then them coming out as a people as numerous as the stars of heaven. Does that sound familiar to you? Remember that Abrahamic covenant? Three things promised. One of those being that you would be a people as numerous as the stars of heaven. So we see God's power and beauty and supremacy. We see his special love. And we see that this God, he's not just gracious because he has to be. Like, like when I was in school, substitute teachers, it was like they had to be nice because that was the only card in their hand, you know. They didn't, they didn't really have the authority to, to, to command the room. So they were just going to be nice. And that was the best thing. That's not, that's not, that's not our God. Our God is gracious. He has everything and he is gracious. He is all powerful and he loves us. And we see in that last, te- the last verse of this text that he fulfills his promise, fulfills his promise to his people. And, and it took years, hundreds of years to get to this point. Was God any less faithful because hundreds of years had passed? no. And so often we can look at the affairs of our lives and and we can be discouraged because we don't see God making oak trees immediately. We see him planting acorns, but we go, God, I really want an oak tree, like now. That'd be great. But God planted something and he's growing it. This text reminds us, trust in God. Behold him, he is gracious, unchanging, And he loves you. So when you get beat by a wave this week, when you get crushed by something, remind yourself, God loves you. He's faithful. He's working. He's planting oak trees with acorns. It takes time, but he is faithful. Which brings us to the point that regardless of the week you've had, the month you've had, the season you've had, the years you've had, For the Christian, we are better off than we deserve because God loves us. Hard to say at times, but God loves us. And that grounds us for obedience. And it's because of this grace that we can go from passively receiving to actively obeying, Point three. Actively participate with God in your pursuit of holiness. The central imperative. Remember I talked about that circular um, outline of the book. I wish, when you, when you read the New Testament, you do epistles, it's, it's fun to write sermons because it's like, here's the point, here's the subpoint, here's the next point. When you go to the Hebrew Bible, a lot of times they just go around and around and around. So here we are, and the central bit of this text is the verse 16. This is the main point. What does the Lord God require of you? Knowing who God is, bolstering this imperative in the middle, sandwiched in between the reasons why we obey this command, what are we to do? Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Moses has, with great pastoral clarity, shown us that our election has nothing to do with us. And in this verse, he shows us that the Christian life very much very much includes our active participation with God in the removal of worldliness and the putting on of godliness, of Christ likeness. Legalism is to say that we work to be saved. Biblical Christianity is to say that we've been saved through no merit of our own, so let us now live out the good works by faith God has prepared for us. That's That's Christian, biblical Christianity. True spiritualism is that. And and now, let me remind you of those words from the beginning of this passage. And now, Kingsway, what does the Lord your God require of you? Set yourself apart from the world and devote yourself fully to God. Be holy. The word holy means set apart for a particular purpose and task. Be that for God. Stop setting aside yourself for the particular tasks and worship of other things lay that aside and look to Christ. Circumcision in the Old Testament it was a, it was a sign given in the Abrahamic covenant it made Israel distinct from the nations and it was to remind Israel that their covenant commitment was to be generational. It goes on from one generation to the other. And what Moses does is that he gets to the root of the matter. To be truly set apart to God is to not have some physical alteration to your body, but to your soul. Congratulations for going to church. Congratulations for not cussing. Congratulations for not watching Game of Thrones. Congratulations on your baptism. Congratulations on taking the Lord's Supper. Where is your heart? God has always in the Old and the New Testament declared with the clearest of terms that external obedience and internal idolatry, that, that's what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. It never passes the test. Think about Isaiah 1. Keep your sacrifices. I want true worship. This verse also echoes Jeremiah uh, when, when he foretells the new covenant. Did you guys pick that up when you read it? That the law of God will be written on the hearts of man. God's redemptive plan has always been to restore a people to himself. And when Christ came and he died in our place, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to indwell those who have repented of their sins and who have bent the knee to God. The truth of the matter is, is that the law was calling Israel to do something they couldn't do. But now that Messiah Jesus has come, the Holy Spirit now indwells us, replacing our stone hearts with flesh, with true hearts. We can obey. When we read this, Kingsway, when we read this verse, there's a part of you that goes, oh, so sad. Israel couldn't do this. But for us, we can. Because God is gave us a new heart. We can today say, I will set my heart apart and obey the Lord. You are able and empowered and you have, we saw, we've seen the Messiah. When you, when you read the end of this passage and it says, you know, these, these great and terrible things that, that I've done before you, we look back and we can see Christ died for sins. And we look at Pentecost and we see The Holy Spirit was given. The sign of the new covenant. It's not circumcision. The Holy Spirit indwelling us, making Christ glorious. All those things, behold God. The Holy Spirit cries in your heart. Behold Christ and what he has done for you and won for you and given you through his spirit that makes much of Christ. You can, you can and God calls you to good, excellent works. And because of grace, we can obey. Again, it's not legalism; it's biblical holiness. Because grace is—I mean, it's just all around the boat, guys. We're just going down the river. We got grace in the boat, behind us, in front of us, surrounding us. We're swimming in grace. The clouds are made of grace. There's not. There's not one bit. Of legalism in this. And given that in view, I want you to think about you individually. Think about you individually. We're moving from God transcendent to God imminent. I'm talking to people in the pew or not pew chairs. You know what I'm saying? Think about the testimonies of God in your life, the testimony after testimony of his faithfulness to redeem you, to restore you, to comfort you, to guide you. How then should you live? In view of the mercies of God, how should you then live? Have you set yourself fully apart and not stubborn towards your job or your career? Yet we have to yank your arm in order to be with God's people? You have no problem putting forth discipline to finish a report, to stay late, to jump in a quiet, but, but if it's to jump in a quiet time, well, well God, God gives grace for that. God's gracious. You've had a slew of really hard weeks. Do you value the Sunday gathering of believers as the Lord your God does? Do you believe that your life is set apart for his worship? Of course we can worship in all sorts of ways. Hebrews 10 says the gathering of his people, that we're not to neglect that. Do you take it as license When family comes to visit for the weekend, you take it as a license to not attend church that you can skip, you get a pass because family's in town. Do you set aside time in your day for a woman, not your wife, or for countless women on the internet? What does this text call us to do? Set yourself apart for God. Kill those idols because of grace. Not because God, you're trying to get God to love you, but because he does love you. Because he's worthy of your love and affection. Look with me at how this setting apart is manifested, specifically in this text. Moses calls Israel to love the sojourner. We love people despite their merit or their position because God loved us despite our merit and position. He executes justice by sending the, by sending Jesus to die on the cross to give you something that you didn't deserve. This this isn't a, a political statement. This isn't a, a uh, you know a reversing of power structures. This is a deeply theological statement. I hope you see this because it is obedience that provides a living illustration of your relationship with God. That's what this is. That's why we love our neighbor regardless of where they are or where they're at or their walk of life. That's why we love the fatherless and the widow because it's just a retelling of the greatest testimony ever. The testimony of God working in your life because did you catch what Moses said? Why are we supposed to love the sojourner? Because you, because you were a sojourner in Egypt That's why we love. God had his special eye on you. Despite all the things that weren't going for you, he loves you. And despite all the things that you can nitpick about your neighbor, or those less fortunate than you, or those that aren't in the season of life that you're at, you can find all kinds of ways to be critical. But what testifies to the goodness and greatness of God's love? How does a Christian act in those situations? They're captivated before the God they're beholden. Our obedience mirrors the great God that we serve. And I want us to look at verses 20 through 22. It functions as the conclusion of this text. Recapping the Shema that was reiterated. But I want us to highlight one thing as we close. Out of all those things that look rather familiar, of serving and fearing the Lord, I want you to look that he calls Israel to hold fast. I love that. Hold fast. Moses calls Israel to hold fast in their commitment to God, to not grow weary in trusting their God. I want to encourage those who are in a place where they feel tempted to give up this morning. Behold God, see what he's done in Christ. Don't take grace as a license to disobey. Set yourself apart and don't grow weary in the pursuit of holiness. Persevere even when the going gets tough. Hold your head up because God loves you. In 2018, in July, uh, Christy and I, we didn't have a a child yet, but we had a miscarriage. And I went to the office um, the next week, and I had a a dear professor uh, come up to me, and he, he grabbed me, put his hand on my shoulder. He said one of the most endearing phrases I've I've ever, I'm still holding it, 2023. Puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, young man, I'm so sorry for your loss. Persevere in the faith for God loves you. The love of God grounds all of life in our obedience, in our suffering, because God is wonderful and has been so great. We were ruined Before grace. But now we have all of God for all of life in Jesus Christ. So persevere in faith. Hold fast to the Lord your God who delights in you because he loved you so much that he sent his son to die to make you his special and treasured possession. Fragile and bare. We come, but we come to his strong and mighty arms. You pursue holiness, church, because God's faithfulness and his unmerited affections for you. I'm gonna end our time with these sweet words from Matthew Henry, and I hope you're encouraged to hold fast to your savior this morning, tomorrow, this week, this month. Cleave to him as one we love and delight in, trust and confide in, and from whom we have great expectations. Let us pray. Father, we expect great things from you because you are a great God. To ponder on your power and your faithfulness is to think of the good news of Christ taking our place, of your election of us, of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and comforts us and guides us and makes Christ more beautiful to us. Father, would you deepen our affections for you regardless of the season that we're in? Father, would you open our eyes to see you May grace motivate us to holiness, Lord. Cause us to repent of areas where we are stiff-necked and stubborn. Set our hearts apart to you. In your grace, move us to holiness for your name's sake. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.